First Peter chapter four. You ready to learn tonight? Yes. All right. Now we, let me review with you for a few moments. Peter, First Peter is talking about a group of people who have basically been saved and now they're under severe persecution. And they're really Christ. And that's it. That's what's caused all their problems. They are ostracized from their society. They're kicked out of their homes. They lose their jobs. And basically, uh, they're blamed for everything. It was Nero that uses Christians now to light torches at his outdoor barbecues. Rolls them in tar and burns them as the candles for his outdoor barbecues. He burns Rome, blames it on the Christians. And it was just one horrible thing after another. So Peter's writing to this group of people. And, and basically, when Peter writes to him, Peter basically says this. You know what? Uh, you're in good company because Jesus Christ also suffered. And the same Lord that you love and the same Lord that you've got your faith in is the same one that suffered for things that were atrocities that he was never, ever proved or did or whatever. So you're just following in his steps. That's basically what you're doing. And as you look at this passage tonight, we're going to start off in chapter 4, verse 1. Ryan did a good job teaching us the last time we were together. And he starts off, you have a King James Bible. It says, for as much. Now, I, I haven't said that in, since a minute ago, but for as much. How many of you said that last week one time? For as much. Did you talk that way? How many could say, therefore, Okay, therefore is a good word. That's what that word for as much means. It means therefore. And what it does is it's pointing back. And when you look at this passage, when you look at it, one of the great things about it, it's pointing back and it's going to look back in the passage. It's going to try to talk to you a little bit about what Jesus has done. Let's go back and look at verse number 22. It talks about Jesus that's gone into heaven, at the right hand of God. Now he's with angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. It's talking about where Christ is now that he's suffered. Verse 17, it says, It was the will of God that he suffers for well-doing uh, than evil-doing. He suffered for our sins. So it's talking about suffering. It's talking about because Christ suffered, we suffer. Because Jesus paid the price for sin, we pay the price for being a Christian. And Christ is our example. That's what it's... For his match. That's what he's drawing an attention to. It's, a, it's pointing back to what's been said. He says this is what, what's happened. Now, as we jump in here, one of the things he's going to basically try to tell them is, uh, we sang that song a moment ago, I'll fly away. By the way, aren't you looking forward to that? Yeah. I was telling Harriet up here, I'm such a heathen that I, I like Willie Nelson and and I like Willie Nelson singing that song. I, I'll fly away. It's just great. I think he does it. I don't like the way he lives his life, but I tell you what, I enjoy hearing him sing that song. But will it be great one day when we fly away? Won't it be great? Won't it be wonderful? You know what? As a kid growing up, we learned a lot of songs that I don't hear sung anymore. But one of the songs we used to sing was this one. Uh, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up. Some of you are going, holy tamole, that's a song. It's not a real deep biblical song, but I used to sing it when I was a kid. I thought it was great. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Remember that? 
the, the, the teaching of the song is that we are citizens of heaven. The teaching of the song is we're on foreign soil. We're foreigners. We're aliens. Now, when you start thinking like that, let me ask you a question. In any country that you attend, Mick Wrigley can say yes to this. If you're an American, do we stick out in the Philippines like sore thumbs? First of all, we're that much taller and we're about that much wider. You know what I mean? You see an American, you can tell everybody asks you, are you Australian or from the U.S.? You know, that's what they always ask. Because we stick out. We're foreigners. And, and uh, sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. When you go to China, now one thing about China that's interesting is that China, they're feeding their people bigger or more and they're getting bigger. They're getting larger. So they're not all short like they used to be. Now I saw some pretty good sized Chinese guys. But you know, the bottom line is this, you still stick out. My hair's <laughs> kind of gray, <laughs> getting a little fuzzy and it's wearing out on the top. But anyways, I, I never saw any Chinese people that had hair anywhere close to what I had. Not a one of them. They don't, any, any of them look like me. And we stick out, we're foreigners. And what Peter is saying to these groups of folks, he says, you're on foreign soil. You're a foreigner, you're living in a place where you should expect to be persecuted because the bottom line is uh, you're not home yet. You're not, your citizenship is in heaven and someday that's where you're going to go. But right now you're going to be on pagan ground. You're on pagan soil. And so what he's going to talk about tonight basically is this subject. He's going to talk about how to shock a pagan world. How to shock a pagan world. And he's going to talk about our lifestyle and what we do and how we live. And um, it's probably good to be reminded that we're surrounded by people that embrace a philosophy that's not like our own. How many would agree with that? We live in a world now, to be quite honest with you, and I'm going to use some big words just because I know at least maybe three or four of them. Uh, we live in a world that's filled with postmodernism. Postmodernism. You say, Pastor, what is that? Well, that basically says, listen to this, that there's no such thing as authoritative truth. There's no such thing as objective truth. The only truth is what seems to be true to me. The only truth uh, is what I think truth is. And we live in a world that looks at the world like that. We, sh we really do. And you know what? The only thing that this world is not for is it's for me being intolerant to what their truth is. They hate the fact that a Christian looks at same-sex marriage, are you listening to me, and says, the Bible says, God created a man and a woman, and a man and a woman get married. Our truth is God's word. Would you agree with that? And we look at this world through the lens of Scripture, and we look at, and we say, hey, this is what the Bible says is right, and this is what the Bible says is wrong. What does the world say? Well, you're intolerant. You're homophobic. You know, they go down through that list. You're misogynist. They just they, they love to say all these mean things about us because we say, no, 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 no. We're, we, we don't buy into what's true is true to you or what you got to be true to yourself. No, the Bible makes some standards. The Bible has some absolutes. The Bible says some things are right and some things are wrong. Amen. Come on, you can amen that or oh me. The Bible does say that. Amen. 
So, you know, the world looks at us and they say, well, you know, your problem is you're just narrow-minded. Your problem is you're just, you're just bigots. That's the big word they like now. You're just a bigot. Because you read the Bible. Because you believe the Bible. Because you think the Bible's God's word. Because you think the Bible's authoritative truth. Are you listening to me? We live in a foreign soil. We live in a pagan society. And we've been swallowed up with postmodernism, which leads to what is called pluralism. You say, Pastor, you're using big words tonight. What's pluralism? Well, all religions are equal. All roads go to heaven. You know, the Buddhists are going their way, and the people that follow after Confucius are going their way, and they go down through the whole list, and you, you narrow-minded Baptists believe you're the only ones that are going. I'm more narrow-minded than that. I believe only saved Baptists go to heaven. Amen. You listening to me? I think there's going to be a real surprise when we get to heaven on some people that were there and some people that ain't there. I think some of the ones we thought it would be there ain't going to show up. And I think some we never thought would ever be there are going to show up. Yeah. But I can tell you this. This is what Jesus said. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no man comes unto the Father except through me. That's what he said. Well, you say, Pastor, that's such an exclusive, uh, such an exclusive outlook. It's as exclusive as what Jesus Christ said it was. Right? And all roads don't lead to heaven. They don't. There's several roads to go to my house. But there's only one road to go to heaven. Jesus said it's a narrow road. It's not a big wide road. It's a narrow road. And he said, few there be that what? Few there be that find it. Remember that? So we live in a society. Now, how many understand what you say, Pastor, sometimes I get mad at the news and I get upset with what people say. And all. It shouldn't it surprise you. We're, we're aliens in this world. We're, we're in a strange, hostile environment. And what you need to remember is that this world is no friend of Christ. And Peter's encouraging people that are seeing. They, they said about the early Christians, for example, they said, well, you know the trouble with you early Christians, you're a bunch of cannibals. Why? Because you talk about the Lord's Supper, drinking his blood and eating his flesh. They said when Christians went to church, they had orgies in the dark. Paul writes on a couple of his passages and he says, you know what I did? I did in the light. Why did he say that? Because the accusations against Christians was because they would meet underground, because they would meet in secret, because persecution. They said, well, you know, when they go to church they do all kinds of unspeakable things. <laughs> They're living in a pretty tough society. Would you agree? And so Peter begins to write to these people and Peter begins to try to illustrate, he says, hey, you're living in a difficult time. And, 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 and to quote one preacher, he said, you're getting mugged by reality. And that's what it is today. And I think the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more mugging's going to go on. You listening to me? I sometimes am glad I am as old as I am. I grew up in a Christian America. I did. 
I grew up when Andy Griffith was exciting. When Gunsmoke was the, was the best thing on TV. I grew up before M, MTV. Isn't that what it's called, MTV? I don't even watch that, but anyways. You know what? Uh, I feel for my grandkids. I think it's pretty tough raising kids in this, this day and age. They face a whole lot more things than what I face, and I came through the love generation of the 60s and the 70s. Amen. Yeah. So I want to show you what the Bible says. Let's look, let's look at verse 1. You ready? We ready to jump in? Okay, you ready to learn? All right, let's see what he says. The Bible says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us. That's been his theme. That's what the theme of the book is, is how do you... Bear up under suffering. And the classic example of somebody that handled it right was none other than Jesus Christ. Just like Jesus suffered for us in the flesh, notice what he says, arm yourselves. Underline that word arm yourselves in the Bible there just for a second. That, that passage there, Peter exhorts the saints to arm themselves with the same attitude that Christ had. Look at the way it reads. It says, arm yourself likewise with the same mind. Notice that. Remember what Paul said in, in chapter 2? He talked about Jesus being a servant. He said, let this same mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. How many remember that? You say, Pastor, what is he saying? He's saying the same kind of humility, the same kind of attitude, the same outlook that Jesus had in life. That's the attitude, the outlook that we're supposed to have as a Christian. He said, now, as God's child, arm yourself. Arm yourself with the same attitude that Jesus had. Uh, let me ask you a question. When Jesus was reviled, did he revile back? When Jesus was cussed, did he cuss back? When Jesus was smitten, did he smite him back? Come on, stay with me, class. Is that correct? No, Jesus reacted completely different. It blew people's minds the way Christ always responded. He always responded the right way. And, and Peter says, now arm yourself. Uh, Peter wasn't always guilty of that himself. You remember when Jesus was betrayed, who's the dude with the sword? Who's the dude cutting somebody's ear off? <laughs> and he says, you know, I've tried that protecting Jesus in my own strength. I've tried cutting people's head off. But I want to be honest with you. When Jesus suffered for us, you need to respond in kind. You need to have the same attitude. So arm yourself with the way Christ did it. That word arm is an interesting word in the Greek. It's, it's, the, same, it's the same passage when Paul uses over there in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And he talks about arming ourselves by putting on the armor of God. He says you need to be armed with an attitude. You need to be armed with the same spirit. You need to be armed with the same humility that Christ had. Isn't that interesting? You say, Pastor, what's our best defense? Quick wit? Smart mouth? Quick comeback? What do you think? By the way, you don't think Jesus could have cut somebody to the quick? You don't think Jesus could have sawed them in half? Jesus is the smartest person that ever lived. He had the right words to say every time he opened his mouth. But most of the time, Jesus chose to not say a word. 
Isn't that interesting? Peter says, arm yourself with the same attitude that Jesus had. For he that suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Now, let me help you with that. I, there's two ways you can apply that he there. <laughs> One would be Jesus. Now, the problem you're going to have if you make that he into Jesus where it says he ceased from sin. Now, I got a problem with that interpretation. How many would agree with that? Did Jesus ever sin one time? Was Jesus ever guilty of sinning? No. Jesus on one occasion said, which of you convinces me of sin? Point out one time, one place, one experience where I ever sinned. I can't be talking about Christ. You say, Pastor, who do you think it's talking about then? Well, let's read the verse slowly. All right. Let's read it slowly. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm what? Yourself. So who is the yourself there? It's talking to Christians. It's talking to suffering believers. So he that ceases from sin, it can't be Jesus. It has to be talking about yourselves. It has to be talking about Christians. That's got to be the context. So he says, uh, arm yourselves for he that hath suffered in the flesh. That's talking about what Christ did and how he died. He says, you cease from sin. Don't respond the way you normally do. Don't say those smart comeback remarks when you want to. Learn to keep your mouth shut, your mouth shut when you should. Say, Pastor, why do you preach so hard on that subject? You yell louder when you have a problem with it. <laughs> That's what I tell you. <laughs> you know, when you talk for a living, you can be a real smart aleck. <laughs> Speaking doesn't really come hard to me. I can, you know, my, my really hard thing is to keep my mouth shut. Because I, I talk quite a bit. The more you talk, the quicker your brain gets. And the quicker your brain gets, the sharper your tongue gets. And the sharper your tongue gets, the more trouble you get your mouth into. Amen. Come on, smile at me. You ever been there, done that, and got that T-shirt? No, I got to be still and know that I'm God. I'm wearing it tonight. <laughs> he says... Man, you need to realize the reason we can do this and the reason we can pull this off is that we have a dynamic inside of us. We have a, an example inside of us. His name is Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ can suffer, if Jesus Christ, they can heap abuse on him and Jesus can keep his mouth shut and Jesus can respond the right way. Hey, listen, tell you what, if Jesus can do it, we can do it. That's what his point is. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, not to realize that you're in a conflict means one thing only. It's you're so hopelessly defeated, you don't even know that you're unconscious. It means that you're completely defeated by the devil. Anyone, anyone who is not aware that we're in a battle, a fight, a conflict, in a spiritual sense, is drugged and in a hazardous condition. Peter says, arm yourself. They're coming after you. Make sure you get the right attitude. Because if you don't, they're going to eat you alive. 
Secondly, he's going to talk about transformation. Look at the difference we have in the Christian life. It says that we have the same attitude, the same mind, that him that suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Basically, he's going to basically say this. All right, now that you've been saved, now that you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you got two ways to live your life. You can live your life after the lust of the flesh, or you can live your life after the will of God. And the choice, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, is yours. You say, Pastor, why do you sin? Because I choose to sin. Why do I sin? Because you choose to sin. I have a choice. You know, before I got saved, I didn't have a choice. I didn't. I was in this world. I was a worker of disobedience. I was following after the God of this world. I was lost in the trespasses and sins. But listen, when God saved me, God changed me. Look at Revelation, excuse me, Romans chapter 6. Let's look over there just for a second. Let me show you what happens to you when you get saved. Now, we don't normally read an entire passage. We may read quite a bit of this. Fellas, you got that up there? Can you get Romans 6, verse 1? What shall we say then? I'm going to read it off the screen. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, one of the big issues, one of the problems that the Jews had was if salvation is by grace through faith, if we're justified by what Jesus Christ did, what motivation do we have to live for God? The Jews believed, and I taught this in my Sunday school class this morning, that there's, there, there was a, like a big scale in the sky. And, and God took your good deeds and your bad deeds, and it kind of weighed out. And if your good deeds outweighed your bad deeds, you got to go to heaven. And one of the problems they had with justification by faith is this. Okay, what's the motivation then to do right? Let's keep reading. We'll see what it says. What shall we say then? It says, God forbid. What a ghastly thought. May it never be. He goes on. He says, how should then that we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Listen to me. It's the principle of identification. Here's what the Bible says. When you get saved, Christ died, you died. When you were saved, when you died, you died to those sins and you were buried, but then you were raised. Let's keep reading. Let's see what the Bible goes on to say. It says, know you not that as many of us were baptized, identified into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Keep going, guys. Therefore, we're buried with him in baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we are to walk in newness of life. You say, Pastor, why do we walk in newness of life? Because we're changed. We're dead to sin. We've changed masters. Jesus now calls the shots. We don't. And I'm dead to sin. And now the Holy Spirit of God lives within me. And for the first time in my life, I can say no. Amen. You got that? I've been raised. I have the same power available to me in my Christian life as what raised Jesus from the dead. By the way, that'll help you say no. Amen. Right? Let's keep going. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of the death, we're also planted together in the likeness of the resurrection. Let's keep going, knowing that our old man is crucified with him, and that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not what? Serve sin. Serve sin. 
The Jews said, well, what's your motivation? Hey, my identification with Christ. What's your motivation? Hey, I'm, I'm dead to sin now. I'm not alive to it anymore. Uh, God took away that old sinful nature that I have, and now he lives within me, and I'm, I'm a partaker, the Bible says, of the divine nature. Now I sin because I still like that old lifestyle. I still like getting even. I still like giving you a piece of my mind. Are you listening to me? I still like being a wiseacre. Come on, keep smiling at me. Just as much as I'm smiling at you too. So I met some of you wiseacres myself. He says, for that he is dead is free to sin. Man, listen, isn't that fantastic? It, the Christians don't have to sin. You said, are you preaching sinless perfection? I'm saying it's possible if we say no to Satan, if we say no to the flesh, if we say no to the world. But we don't always do that. Sometimes we fall back into what we used to be. Every once in a while we get mad, we get angry, and the flesh takes over. And so I start acting fleshly. Come on, stay with me. You get what I'm trying to preach? We can keep going. Now, if we're dead with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. Keep going. It says, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Knowing for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but he lives, he liveth unto God. Verse 11 says, likewise also reckon yourselves to be dead. What's he saying? I don't have to sin. I don't have to act those ways. Peter says, arm yourself. Paul says, reckon yourself to be dead. Come on, they're teaching the same thing here, folks. Yeah. Have the same attitude that Jesus Christ has. That's his point. We act like we don't have a choice. We act like we're just kind of stuck in this old rut. Well, my mama used to be that way. My grandmama used to be that way. I come from a long list of folks just the way I am. Now, that's an excuse because that sin has been broken. You're now dead to sin and alive in Christ. Come on now. I'm teaching you Bible here. You got that? You can live for Christ. You really, truly can. So he says there's a transformation. Now, being in Christ means I've been transformed. And this transformation brings at least four benefits. Look at what it says. Verse 1b says, and we're going back to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. He says, we no longer have to serve sin as our master. He goes on, he says, we don't have to spend our days overcome by the desires that we once did. Verse number 2. He says, we now live for the will of God. He says in verse 3, he says, now we've closed the book on that godless living that we used to do. Let's read the passage. Let's see what he says. Verse 2, he says in chapter 4, verse number 2, he says, we no longer should live the rest of our time in the flesh to the lust of men, but for the will of God. In times past of our life may suffice us that we were wrought to the will of the Gentiles when we walked in what? Lasciviousness. He goes on, lust, excess of wines, revelings, banqueting, abominable idolatries. He says that was what it was like before we were saved. That was the lifestyle that we used to live. And that's the lifestyle, by the way, that the pagans still live. 
Somebody said the other night to me, they said, have a good weekend. I said, I'm going to church. You're going to church. Yeah. They thought having a good weekend meant I was going to go out and get drunk. They thought having a good weekend was going out and painting the town red. Now, my idea of a good weekend now, 8.30 sitting in the chair. <laughs> if I can get my feet up, man, I found my spot. Look, glass of iced tea and wake up about 10.30 just in time to go to bed. Come on, how many can say amen to that? Amen. I'm not the only guy like that. But he says, hey, you're not the same people you used to be. You know, when you begin to read these passages, these original terms that, that Peter uses are so vivid. A sensuality there is the idea of lasciviousness. And it, it's, it's, it, it's things that would shock the public decency. You know, every once in a while, people do crazy things. Every once in a while, people do things that, holy mackerel. And they, they end up on television. They end up on, you know, these different things. And you look at that and you think, how could people do that? Come on, are you with me? He said, we don't live in lasciviousness or sensuality. Lust here goes beyond sexual promiscuity and involves sinful desires of every kind, including lust for revenge, lust for money, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, describe a whole miserable spectrum of pleasure. They, they're seeking consumption. They're, they're, they're wanting wanton substance. They, they want to go to wild sexual orgies, and that's what they think you're supposed to do. And Peter says, man, we don't live that way. That's not what our lifestyle is. He said, you don't live like a bunch of Gentiles. You're Christians. Every once in a while, people would do things, and I'll just, I'm just thinking to myself, what are, you, what are you thinking? How do you think that's going to turn out? How do you expect it to turn out? What do you, what do you think is going to be the end result of that? You're sleeping around with your neighbor. You're, you're going out and getting drunk on Friday night, and then you wonder why your life's screwed up. Amazing things is, well, we're Christians. Different kind of Christians, what Peter says. Come on, look at the verses. I didn't write this. I'm just telling you what it says. He said, that's the way we used to be, but we've been transformed now. We're different than that. What's the reaction? When the, when the world sees that you quit living like the world, when the world sees that your lifestyle now condemns them for what they're doing because you won't participate, how does the world react? Well, look at the passage. Verse number four says it like this. It says, wherein they think it's strange, shocked, astounded. They take offense. That's the idea. That you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Oh, I remember when I was in Bible college, and that seems like a thousand years ago. That's a long time ago, back in the 70s. We used to work at UPS, and we had a guy named Bill, and he would smoke pot on the job. 
on the job. We, lived, we worked at Chicago Heights, Illinois, and we would take those little brown trucks that run around getting packages, and we'd take them and we'd put them on a big trailer and send them up to Chicago. And he'd be in there smoking pot, and we'd go out and say, no, we're not going to go in there because we're not going to get high with you. And he'd get mad. He said, you guys aren't any fun. What are you, a bunch of religious fanatics? I said, no, I actually think the smoking pot's illegal. I know doing it on UPS time is. Oh, he'd get mad. He'd get angry. He'd say, well, you know the problem with you? You bunch of religious goody-goodies. His favorite word for me was deacon. That's what he called me all the time, deacon. Hey, you say, Pastor, what, what does that mean? It means this. When you don't participate in the lifestyle of the heathen, they get angry and they will say mean things about you. You mean you're still married after 42 years to the same woman? Boy, I've heard that one. 42 years to the same woman? Now you say, Pastor, what do you think is going to happen? Well, let's look at what it says. Verse 5. Who, now he's talking about those Gentiles who think it's strange that you don't run with them, who uh, basically speak evil of you. Who, now get a hold of this, this is great. Who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the, the, and the dead? Uh, as a Christian sometimes, I'll be really honest with you, I get to the point where I, I say, Lord, what are you waiting on on coming back? Lord, you got, the, you got the inmates running the asylum. You ever feel that way? Lord, the whole world's turned upside down and it seems like they get away with doing whatever. Every time I watch the news on, on 10 o'clock, it seems like crazy people are running Nashville. The Bible says, don't forget, someday they'll get theirs. Bible day, the Bible says, and, and it says, listen, who shall give an account to him that is ready? You say, what, is it? what do you think that's talking about? I think that's Revelation chapter 20. It's called the great, great white throne judgment of God. You know, there's coming a day, and the Bible says that God the Father has given all judgment unto the Son. Jesus Christ will sit on that throne at the great white throne, and the books will be opened. Listen to me. Books that will prove that Jesus Christ is just in sending them to the lake of fire because they deserve it by their words, their deeds, their actions. And the last words they'll hear is, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Now, I know that in this world in which we live, we think, man, it seems like the devil's always winning. It seems like uh, Christians are getting a black eye. It seems like it never, nothing ever works the right way for Christians. It will someday. That's his point. They will stand before a just God. And someday that just God will judge, notice this, the quick and the dead. That means if you're alive... When he comes back and the great white throne happens, or if you're dead and you're raised, I think everybody from Adam's going to be raised that's not saved, and everybody that's ever lived is going to stand before Jesus Christ. That's what it says. 
Well, for this cause was the gospel also preached unto them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but according to God in the spirit. You say, Pastor, what's the bottom line there? The Bible says our job is to continue preaching the gospel. You say, how do you preach the gospel? Herald the gospel. You can do it with your mouth. Would you agree with that? But let me ask you a question. Do you think having a righteous lifestyle, one that condemns the ugliness of this world, is preaching the gospel too? What they're condemning you for, what they're criticizing you for, what they're maligning you for, do you not think that says something to them? What do you think? Yeah. Well, it's time to quit, isn't it? Seven o'clock. How you like that? I did pretty good, didn't you think? Well, I understand that. Let me give you some applications. And so, at the bottom of your list, you see that? Let me give you a couple applications if you want to write them down. First of all, this is what Peter's saying. Continue to live for Christ. You know, sometimes it's easy to get discouraged, isn't it? Sometimes it's easy to think, well, what's the use, man? I do the best I can. All I do is get slapped in the mouth. Come on, you ever felt that way? I do my best to have a Christian testimony. I do my best to live for God. I do my best to live a good, clean Christian life. And what do I get for it? Ridicule. Criticize. Peter says, no, 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 no. You got to read the last chapter. Continue to live for Christ. You need to keep in mind, hey, it will be worth it all someday. This world's not our home, man. We're, we're just a passive. I'm going to fly away. My arms will get tired, but I'm going to fly away. We're going to do it. Here's the second one. Expect to be misunderstood. Expect it. Don't be surprised when ugly things are said about you. Don't be surprised when false statements are made about you. Don't be surprised when twisted statements are passed around about you. The only defense that you have is that it's not true because your life proves it's not. By the way, we have a Supreme Court justice that better be hoping to God he can prove that. His only defense is I wasn't there and I didn't do it. Yes or no? third one is this, keep your eyes fixed on Christ. When I was a kid growing up, my granddad had a farm. Now, it wasn't a big farm. It was 25 acres. It was in southern Illinois. And it was outside of Centralia. And Grandpa had a tractor. Man, I was fascinated by that tractor. When you're a kid about six, eight years old, that tractor, that was big. It's kind of like a lawnmower for, my, <laughs> for my, my grandkids. But he had a real tractor. I mean, it was a red one, and, and it had this seat that was kind of made out of steel, and it kind of fit your buns. <laughs> How many know what I'm talking about? And Grandpa, every once in a while, he said, son, you want to ride on that tractor? I said, yeah, I do. And uh, <laughs> this is how weird I was. We'd get on that tractor and Grandpa would start to plow. And Grandpa, after we plowed a while, he said, do you want to plow? I said, you mean I get to drive? He said, yeah. He said, I'll sit here and I'll let you steer. 
And, and, and we started steering that thing. <laughs> and Grandpa finally stopped and he said, son, he said, you want me to show you how you do it? He said, you see that tree way out there at the other end of the pasture? He said, what you do is, he said, you keep your eye on that tree. And he said, you, you steer towards that tree. And he said, you'd be surprised how straight a line you can make if you keep your eyes fixed on that tree. Uh, you getting my point yet? Say, Pastor, how do you keep your eyes where they're supposed to be? How do you keep your life where it's supposed to be? You got to fix your eyes on who? The whole thing, the whole thing, for as much. He starts it off. Christ is the one that suffered. Jesus is the one that handled it right. Jesus, he says, have the same attitude, the same mind, the same heart that he had. If you're going to make it in this life as a Christian, you got to keep your eyes fixed on him. Because as Mick said a few moments ago, he's still the same today, tomorrow, and forever. So keep your eyes on him. Don't look around you. Don't worry about the crowd. Don't worry about the world. Jesus is right over there. Just keep your eyes fixed on him and just keep going straight for him. That's the way you do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for what we're learning. What a great book this is. Lord, we pray that we would recognize that we're going to do our best to live for you. And we're going to be misunderstood. There's going to be some people that, that don't understand. But Heavenly Father, help us to keep our eyes on you. Lord, I pray that this old world would not be our home. Help us to remember we're just, we're just passing through. In Jesus' name, amen.